You're listening to Feral Attraction, hosted by Metrico and Vero the Science Collie. On this week's show, we open with a discussion on how false rape accusations might be having an overly chilling effect on the amount of sex millennials are having. Our main topic is on disclosure. We go over the who, the what, the where, the when, and the why, and also the how of disclosing information to people in your life. We close out the show with a question on whether open relationship terms allow enough emotional freedom. Hello again and welcome to Feral Attraction. Hi, Metrico. And I'm Vero the Science Collie. So, you know, kind of on, you know, there's been a lot of really big news this past week. There's been, you know, uh, Bill O'Reilly from Fox News here in the States was recently kicked off of his longtime show at Fox News where he was basically the figurehead. He was the, the John Galt of Fox News. And the reason that he was uh, kind of kicked off of his show was because there had been recent, you know, allegations. Well, not really recent. Um, Throughout the past decade and a half or so, I mean, I remember this going all the way back to like the early 2000s. He had made a lot of really bad advances towards women on his staff, women, you know, female panelists, a lot of just sexual harassment. And throughout the past 14, 15 years, uh, he had been paying millions of dollars to settle these outside of court. Um, What ended up happening is people kind of were just like, oh, that's just Bill O'Reilly. We're not going to pay attention. Um, But then people started paying attention. Uh, The New York Times published an article about him and everybody went up in arms. And he rightfully got kicked off of the show for sexually harassing and essentially assaulting women, you know, forcing them to listen to him masturbating on the phone. And if they didn't, then, well, their jobs might be in jeopardy. You know, a lot of quid pro quo sort of things going on there. And it's it's kind of, you know, odd to think about that because people point to this idea that rape culture is, you know, part of why he did what he did, that men within society take the position of, you know, the earth is ours, we're going to take it, we're going to tame it, women are ours, you know, females are less of a person and more of, you know, an object, something that we can conquer. And while that might be true for people that, you know, were alive and well and businessmen in the 50s and 60s, I think Mad Men, a television show kind of does a good job of displaying the overt sexism, especially when it comes to the rights of women to, you know, make good choices about their, their sexual life and sexual history to make candid choices and to make choices at all. Uh, Within the past few decades, we've really come a long way from where we, we had to emphasize to men that no means no. And we're at a point where affirmative consent and enthusiastic consent is is beginning to take the, the forefront of the battle for women to have control over when and when they do not have sex. But recently, there have been studies that have been done that 
you know, they, they state that on university campuses, about 23 to 25% of women will be sexually assaulted. And the methodology behind those studies have been criticized. Um, the, the honesty of those studies, um, there are two that I can think of off the top of my head, have been criticized. But somehow, these studies are kind of pointed to as being, you know, proof positive that we exist in rape culture. We kind of need to take a step back from that, I think. I think in the attempt to champion the rights of women, the rights of, you know, the, the, the ability that women can make choices and that consent is not wearing a crop top and consent is not wearing booty shorts and consent is not, you know, in the fandom wearing a fursuit, consent is not cosplaying. These are all correct statements. Consent is obviously somebody saying, hey, would you like to fill in the blank? And if the answer is yes, then gung-ho. If the answer is no, then okay, well, you know, thanks for your time. You know, you treat it like somebody knocked on your door and they're trying to sell you religion and you're just not buying the Jehovah's Witnesses. Just to clarify, though, don't offer to fill in someone's blanks as a pickup line. That's not going to be effective. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you know, fill in the blank about the blank that you want to fill. How about that? <laughs> the thing is, is that, you know, the methodology behind studies like that, it's an astronomical number, 25%. And, you know, there's an article that was uh, recently published in Quillat uh, by Michael Aaron. Now, Michael Aaron may not be a name people know. It's I know him. He is a psychotherapist uh, here in New York City. And he gets asked whenever there are, you know, he's he's kind of a media figure. Uh, he gets asked a lot of questions whenever there's any kind of a sex issue that hits the news. Um, he was asked uh, last year in March about the study. And... We kind of discussed this uh, in a previous episode, the fact that millennials are having less sex than you know, pretty much you know anybody within the past 20 decades, not 20 decades, the past two decades, I meant to say 20 years. The amount of sex that you know this generation is having is, is far lower than what people were having 20 years ago at the same age. And so... The question is, why is that? Now, some people point to the fact that we are working longer, and that's that's kind of debunked because, I mean, the more that you work, and the you know, kind of the more stress you're under in a lot of cases, good stress, the the more sexually active you want to become. That's that's generally the the approach that happens. But there is some negative stress, and a lot of it is put on this generation because there's the the fact that some people, especially men, do feel like they might be falsely accused of rape. And we have seen this happen and and you know across the country and and certainly in several places across the world. Yeah, and I think that's you know this is a very sensitive issue and it's very emotionally charged. And I think because of that and because of the fact that rape is a can leave very lasting and traumatizing effects and, you know, emotional scars 
on women and also the men who it affects. Uh, that that's a factor that needs to be kept in mind, obviously. And so we don't want to discount that rape is you know a heinous crime and, and a horrible way to victimize an individual. But it's also true that a rape accusation uh, in the current state of kind of rape culture that we you know, supposedly live in and the sensitivity to rape that we that we live in, it's very, you know, because we now are so, so much emphasizing the fact we always have to listen to victims, it's very difficult as an, someone who's then accused of being a rapist to actually defend yourself in any meaningful way because it's kind of, you know, the idea of, the, of jurisprudence we have in this country of innocent until proven guilty seems to kind of go by the wayside when we are in an environment of talking about rape or sexual assault. So I think it's important to keep in mind that we still need to maintain that, that, that really core precept of jurisprudence that you need to be innocent until proven guilty. And that just because we're talking about rape and it's a very you know, difficult and you know, emotionally charged topic, we still can't treat an accused rapist as being guilty of that rape until we actually have evidence that wrongdoing occurred. Right. So, and unfortunately, in many rape cases, evidence can be very hard to come by because you're in a he said, she said situation. And so the entire situation becomes very muddled and it's very difficult to tell, you know, what is the right thing to do in that situation? Who's, who's the right person to err on the side of in that situation? Right. But according to jurisprudence, again, you have to err on the side of the, the, the accused being innocent because it's always better to have, you know, people go free who are guilty than to have one innocent person be jailed, right? That's kind of one of the core ideas of our, of our democracy. So I think it's just important to keep that in mind, that just because we're talking about an emotionally heated issue, we can't toss jurisprudence out the window. And I, I think that often happens in this particular situation. And I think just turning a more critical lens on that uh, is maybe important. I know Deborah So retweeted this uh, article, I think because it's in keeping with her sort of ideas on wanting to really turn a critical lens on topics that are often very emotionally charged. So she, you know, she also does this with the topic of uh, gender and sexuality, which we talked about last week on the show. So this is another area where, you know, because of rape culture and because of the, you know, traumatic nature of the crime that we're talking about, it's very difficult to be completely cold and rational about it. But again, jurisprudence needs to, needs to be applied. I think this article highlights that in a kind of interesting way. Now, you know, I want to be kind of clear here. This isn't me saying that if you have been sexually assaulted, if you have been raped, you should stay quiet. Obviously, you should come forward. Now, and this isn't also us saying that women are ruining sex for men. This is rape accusations, you know, exist across borderlines, especially false rape accusations. You know, it's it's I can remember when I was in high school um, after I was outed, there was <laughs> there is a guy who actually accused me of we had gym class together of essentially grabbing his junk and, you know, kind molesting him. And he came forward with the charges. And the thing is, is that before he did that, he basically told everybody at the school about it. So everybody viewed me not only as being gay, but also, hey, he, you know, is is kind of a rapist. He's kind of handsy. You can't trust him. You can't be around him. Um, I was asked to not go to the gym because of this, because the school administrators were looking into it. And, 
you know, it, it was kind of troubling for me because any attempt at friendship that I had with anybody was kind of shot. And what ended up happening is the, the school administration reached out to the police. The police did their investigation. They spoke to him. They spoke to people that were in the area. And it was just, at the end of the day, it was a guy who was trying to look cool or trying to get attention or trying to ruin my life. And the accusations didn't stand mostly because of the fact that our lockers and the locker room were on opposite sides. And also, I didn't know this individual's name. Um, not to say that you can't rape somebody if you don't know who they are. Obviously, that that's neither here nor there. But the fact is, is that I had zero interaction with this person outside of sharing a common space. You know, rape is, you know, when you think about sexuality, sexuality is at the end of day, at of the day, it is all about power, and rape is about taking away the power and the self agency that you have as an individual to choose. And what I think is important is that we have a discussion about sexual power. We have, a, we have an honest and open discussion about sexual agency. Because I do feel that this topic is incredibly polarizing. This is, this is a topic that, you know, especially within the fandom, we need to have a discussion about. We need to have a discussion about what enthusiastic consent is. We need to have an open and honest discussion about what it is when you have sex with somebody and the next day you're sobered up and you realize that, oh, I actually don't really like this person. And, you know, I might've said yes, but had I been sober, I would have said no. It's important that we have these discussions and it's important that people who are raped continue to come forward and they continue to seek action against the people that perpetrate rape because rape is horrible. Barring that circumstance in my life, you know, rape and child molestation were, you know, incredibly powerful factors in the way that my upbringing was, you know, came to be um, with me being put into protective child custody. And it can ruin lives, rape. It can ruin, ruin lives. But false rape accusations also ruin lives. You can look at the Duke, the Duke lacrosse case. You can look at the case against the University of Virginia. There's a lot of bad that can come from these false accusations. And it is essential that we in a sex-positive society if that's what we want to become, take away the stigma around wanting sex. If people want to have sex and they go about it in an ethical fashion, then there shouldn't be fear of being accused of you know, rape if there is a sense of regret in the morning. We need to have discussions about ways that we can ensure that everybody that comes to the table of, of coming doesn't, you know, leave with, with the sense that if they don't like what happened, then they can accuse 
they can cry rape because it's it's just not it's not good should we be supportive of people who bring forward allegations of rape yes absolutely but we also have to ensure that we follow the proper procedures in ensuring that due justice and due legal process is given to both sides do we perhaps need to re-examine the legal procedures that we have? Yes, absolutely. I think we do. There are cases where rape kits are gone unexamined. There are cases where rape allegations are not followed up on. There are definitely cases where there are cases, you know, corruption within. Uh, you have corruption in the police. You have corruption in you know judicial circles. There are definitely areas where we can improve. But the one thing that we should kind of avoid if we want to be sexually active, sexually ethical individuals is the court of, you know, public opinion. You don't want to go that route. Call out blogs, call out tweets. This person raped me. These are all bad things. If you go through the legal process and... You know, hey, congratulations. You know, I don't want to say congratulations, you win, but, you know, it comes out that yes, this person is, you know, a rapist. This person did rape you. Then at that point, yes, I do think that you are within your bounds to say, you know, this happens. This is, you know, what happened to me. This is where it went. But I think before we get to that position, before we get to that, that space, we need to ensure that legal due process is maintained. And we need to have these conversations. I anticipate there are going to be people that disagree with me, that disagree with, with us. And we need to have that conversation. We need to know where we can come together to find a space where men and women alike can enjoy sex without fear of reprisal, where men and women can enjoy sex without being afraid of being raped or being accused of rape especially if they're going about it in an ethical fashion. This isn't a case of, you know, people who criticize um, people that are afraid of government monitoring being like, well, if you have nothing afraid, if you have nothing to fear, if you have nothing bad to say when it comes to the government looking at your emails or your tweets or your texts, when, when it comes to that, if you have nothing you're saying nothing to be afraid of, then why are you afraid? This isn't a case of that. This is a case of we want people to have that self-agency, to have that ability to make the choices for themselves when it comes to their sexual health and their sexual life and their sexual practices. And when people are afraid of even having the discussion about, hey, let's have sex. Do you want to have sex? Then there's further fear about what what do they disclose? You know, how do they go about doing that? Do we need to have college classes, college seminars, perhaps, on ways to pursue ethical, enthusiastic, consenting, affirmative consent and sex practices? Yes. But this should be a burden that is on everybody involved in the process. This isn't just a problem that men have. This isn't a problem that women have. This is a problem that we collectively should share. This is a problem in terms of equity. 
We need to make sure that everybody has an equitable chance to enjoy and have a healthy sex life without fear of reprisal. So if you have comments on that, hit us up. Trust me. Yeah. I mean, it's a, diff- it's a difficult place to, to strike a balance because, again, you don't want to have any situation where you, you can come close to being a rape apologist where you're saying rape is okay or we can tolerate rape occasionally because no. we don't want a rapist going to jail. That's not what we're saying at all. We're just saying that right to due process shouldn't be suspended just because we're talking about rape, right? That's basically all it comes down to. So. Okay. And, you know, again, it might be that we need to reexamine the way that we handle due process in, in rape cases. It could be that justice is not currently being done. And certainly that is the case. You do see that happening. But we want to make sure that everybody has the right to feel safe and secure when it comes to their sex lives, both in terms of not being raped and also not being accused of rape when no such thing has happened. You know, the point of this show is to discuss ethical sex practices. And if you are going about sex, whether it's with a long-term partner, whether it's with a one-night stand, if you're going about it in an ethical fashion, then you shouldn't have to have in the back of your head this anxiety that, you know, in the morning they might, you know, your, your sex partner might say, well, I didn't really, you know, want to hook up with you. So I'm just going to accuse rape and I'm just going to ruin you. There is an element of emotional and, you know, financial blackmail that sometimes goes along with that. And we want people to avoid being put in that circumstance, to being put in those positions. So again, if you have comments, you know, let us know. Again, this isn't us being rape apologists or anything of that nature. This is just us saying that we need to ensure that we maintain due practice without people being crucified in the court of public opinion. You know, so this week we're going to talk about disclosure though, in our main topic and, you know, this kind of, you know, mildly segues from the main topic from the top of the show. Um, when we talk about disclosure in relationships, it can mean different things. What exactly are you di- are you disclosing? Are you disclosing, you know, a mistake that you made? Are you disclosing the fact that you cheated in the relationship? Are you disclosing the fact that, you know, you you've been lying about working at a certain place, having a specific job, a specific degree? What are you disclosing in your relationship? Could it be certain sexual interests that you have? Could it be kinks or fetishes that you would like to engage in? Could it be that you have some health conditions that you haven't really spoken up about because you're afraid that people might find you unlovable? Could it be you're disclosing being gay, being trans, being non-binary, being asexual? Who are you disclosing this to? Is it to your partner? Is it to friends? Is it to your coworkers, your HR department, your parents, your family? Disclosure is kind of this odd topic because it becomes entirely situational, depending on what you're disclosing, depending on who you're disclosing to. And because of that situational subjective nature, it can be difficult for people to to kind of approach it in a way that makes sense for them. So in general terms, we want to go over disclosure, how to go about it. What are some 
tools and tips and tricks of the trade. Because when it comes to the 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 action of disclosing, it's a tool that is critical for you to have a healthy and sustainable relationship. Going back to our series on shame, when you don't disclose things, when you when you're holding something back, information back, especially from a loved one, because you're afraid that it might hurt them or it might damage the relationship or, you know, possibly even worse, they might see you as being unlovable or broken. It causes you to just have such anxiety because you're so focused on keeping the attention away from the area that you're trying not to disclose. If you had an infidelity, it could be you don't want to be broken up with. Why should you disclose? Where should you disclose? When should you disclose? How? All of these are questions that we get quite often, actually. You know, the questions that we get, especially, I mean, if you look at the question that we had last week, where the the questioner asked, how can I break up with somebody? How can I tell somebody that I don't want to be with them? That's a disclosure that you're giving. Oftentimes in our culture, in our society, People view telling somebody bad news as being an overly bad thing. Introducing negativity into any kind of a scene, any kind of a relationship, is viewed as being a bad person. We live in a world that a lot of terrible things are happening. There are wars, there's death, people are being killed, refugees... Our, our crisis, the world is becoming more and more crazy. And when people look at relationships, they want stability. So why would they introduce a potentially destabilizing piece of information into what they view to be their rock? That is looking at it backwards. So, you know, when we talk about disclosing, you know, why should you disclose anything to anybody? Why should you disclose information to people in your life? Well, you, you want to kind of, you know, look at the reason behind why you're disclosing something. Um, some people, when they disclose truths or mistakes or secrets that they haven't shared with anybody, it comes from ultimately, you know, one of like three different places, you know, if you you're, if you're talking to a partner about, you know, I mean, for example, for me, I have to disclose with people that, you know, I'm interested in dating. Hi, just so you know, I'm alexithymiac, which means that sometimes there's like some emotional issues. And, you know, I try not to get too bogged down into the, into the definitions because it can be a little bit overwhelming. You know, I don't want to give like the scientific, you know, break out the D, you know, the DSM, DSM yeah. like straight up like, hi, this is the DSM and this is going to be your best friend in dating me. This is an encyclopedia of me. Uh, I don't, I don't do that. It's, I say, well, alexithymia, it means that sometimes I have a difficulty in interpreting and expressing emotions and, you know, it's just a thing. Sometimes I'm not going to be the best at emotional support, but I'll try to be there for you. I tell that because I want to loop people in to an aspect of my life. I'm not looking to it to kind of dump baggage, you know, to 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 dump my anxiety. I'm not I'm not telling people because I want them to be the receptacle for my anxiety and my problems. 
It's important for me to have people know this aspect of my life because it's a part of who I am. Sometimes when people disclose information, they're not looking for a conversation. They're not looking for support. They're just looking for an emotional wasteland that they can kind of throw everything into and not have to worry about it. So you have to examine whether you're disclosing something if you're looking for emotional support or if you're just looking to toss away your emotional baggage. Now, this can be a problem uh, mostly experienced through friends, you'll see, where you have one person who kind of, you know, is the emotionally quote-unquote needy individual of the group who constantly has problems that they're talking about. And I think everybody on some level is afraid of becoming that person. So when you're disclosing things, just kind of examine the why you're telling people. Is it because you want them to be there to support you? Or is it because you just want to be rid of the problem? You just want to vent and be over with it. The important determination there is if you're disclosing things that you want support with, you also have to actively be handling it. So if you're avoiding handling a situation, if you're, you know, you know, my boyfriend is just, you know, not really there for me. You know, he, every time he comes home, he just ignores me and plays video games. He just has hard days. And, you know, I just feel like he's not there for me. If you're not trying to correct that when you tell your friends about it, and instead you're just kind of letting that stay as the status quo, you're not looking for support. You're venting. You have to be actively working on improvement for there to be support. Otherwise, it's just sympathy. There's no empathy. There's no, there's no progress. So the thing is, is that sympathy will not solidify relationships. If you are constantly coming and looking for sympathy from your friends, they're just going to pity you and you become the pitiful friend. You become the pitiful boyfriend, the girlfriend, whatever it might be. You want to ensure that your mate, your friends, your family, they're not feeling sorry for you. They're feeling supportive of you. And, you know, in some cases when you're, you know, following that, that kind of footstep where you're constantly seeking that sympathy, it can be viewed almost as like emotional warfare where if your partner says, you know, I had a really hard day. Hey, do you, can I talk to you about it? And your response is, you had a hard day, but let me tell you about my life. You know, it can be viewed as like emotionally abusive for some people. So you want to make sure that when you're disclosing things, you're not doing it to seek sympathy. You're not doing it to seek like this, this, you know, people feeling sorry for you or seeking attention. You know, disclosure should be to loop people into your life and to seek encouragement when you handle your problems especially if you're disclosing personal issues or struggles. Let's say that you have, you know, like me, like, hey, I'm going to the gym. I'm trying to get healthier. That's a disclosure because not everybody needs to know that. But I'm not doing that so people can be like, oh, I feel sorry for you because you're going to the gym and you're killing yourself. Oh, man, you must be sore all the time. I'm doing it because I want people to encourage me. Like, hey, how's everything going at the gym? Hey, how's everything going in your life? I'm not doing it because I want people to feel sad for me because I'm a fat sack of shit. I'm doing it because I want people to be excited for me and I want to involve them in my excitement. That's the difference. That's the right reason. You know, and also, you know, if you're disclosing mistakes that you've made, you know, 
let's say that your friend loans you 20 bucks and you said that you would pay them back this week and it's the end of the week and you can't pay them back. You got to disclose that. You know, some people disclose things, mistakes, problems, things that they've screwed up on because, you know, they're not genuinely sorry. They're just afraid of people finding out. So, you know, it's, it's, it's out of fear and not guilt, if that makes sense. You shouldn't disclose things out of fear. You shouldn't disclose, well, if I don't tell him, he's going to find out that he's going to break up with me. So I might as well just bite the bullet. You know, that, that doesn't express any kind of like any feeling of guilt or, or, or feeling apologetic for the fact that you screwed up. Like I cheated. And if he finds out my boyfriend is just going to say, fuck it. I don't want to be with you. So I might as well get that over with. It doesn't work like that. You need to, if you're going to disclose a mistake or screw up that you've made, you need to come from a place of feeling, you know, sorry. You need to come from a place of wanting to make amends. Disclosure for the sake of, well, I'm afraid if he finds out he's going to explode doesn't work because it's kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. If let's say, Vera and I were dating, and you know, so many of you do say that, but it's not the case. Yeah, (laughs) thank you for the disclosure. Um, but you know, I'm going to convention, and if he and I were dating and we were in an exclusive monogamous relationship, and I decided that I was going to take a day pass and just fuck everything that moved at furthermore, and I had to tell him this when I came back. You know, if I were to tell him, you know, because, oh, I'm afraid he's going to find out he has some friends that were there. And if he finds out, he's going to be really mad at me. So I should just tell him now to get it over with. Of course, he's going to be mad at me. So you just fortune tell everything. And you're like, well, he's going to want to break up with me. So you go at it with a wrong attitude. You go into it with a defeatist kind of mindset. You know, not every act of infidelity is a relationship ender. For some people, it is. And it's important that when you make mistakes, you come at it with the right attitude. If you want to um, if you want to right the ship of the relationship, you have to come from a place of open and honest disclosure so you can get everything back into motion in the correct direction. Otherwise, if you're doing it just out of fear, then there's no improvement to be made. There's, there's no way that the, the relationship is going to really kind of continue in its current way or continue at all. So you have to be mindful of this. You have to consider the purpose behind your disclosure and make sure you're coming from the correct mindset. Otherwise, it's just going to be a lost cause for you. It's a disclosure for the sake of disclosing something. And you're not going to feel good about it. And nobody's going to feel good about it. You know, thing about relationships is, you know, you want to feel comfortable in them. You know, when it comes to, you know, the relationships that that I have, and I'm sure the relationships that you have, Vero. You know, there have been cases where I certainly have not disclosed information, and. I felt like shit because of it. And the relationship kind of faltered and failed because of that, because that comfort level was not there. I couldn't find the comfort that I needed in a relationship. The the emotional intimacy, there was a roadblock in the way, because I was kind of, you know, 
putting a fucking roadblock of my own in play. Yeah, from my own experience, I wouldn't say that I've failed to disclose and that that's the end of the relationship, but I've definitely been on the other side of that where someone else's failure to disclose has been a severe enough event that brought about the end of a relationship. So disclosure is a very serious issue because failure to do it properly is one of the main reasons that relationships end, right? Absolutely. I mean, one thing that I do sometimes struggle with, and I'll be honest, is sometimes, you know, there are things that happen that I don't necessarily see the need to disclose because I don't view them as being something of a disclosable nature. For example, let's say that, you know, I'm talking with somebody or, or I'm in a group chat and somebody sends a nude, you know, we have multiple feral attraction, you know, telegram chats. And one of them is an adult chat. And sometimes people will send nude photographs of themselves. They'll send, you know, lewd artwork from, you know, somebody, you know, a commission that they got. And I don't necessarily see the need to, to disclose those mostly because, you know, I'm not there for the porn. I'm there for, for the conversation. You know, I take the playboy approach to it. Uh, but I have been in a relationship where a group chat where somebody sent nudes actually kind of sabotaged the relationship because, um, Apparently, my settings at the time were, were set to automatically download all media that, that was sent in the chat. And my partner at the time went through my camera rule, and they just saw a whole bunch of nude photographs of one person in particular. And they're like, holy shit, Metrico is cheating on me. He's, he's doing these things. Meanwhile, you know, I didn't really pay that much attention to the chat. I was there because uh, it was a group chat that I had with a friend and a group of our friends, I should say. And I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. You know, he has an after dark. I, you know, Twitter and I follow it and I see the same picture. So it wasn't a big deal. My partner followed it as well. Um, but that ended up being a, a relationship breaker because he believed that I was failing to disclose this and I was cheating. And so the best response was for him to cheat on me. You have to kind of be aware of things, you know, had he expressed that to me, that, that thought, had he disclosed that to me, I feel like that relationship would have gone on a lot further. If he had been uncomfortable with that, the fact that I, Hey, I'm in a chat where sometimes people send me pictures of their dicks and that's fine. You know, I probably would have approached everything in a different fashion. So I do feel mildly, you know, bad about that because there was a disclosure that could have happened and we could have come to a common place of understanding, but instead we just kind of let the relationship fail. So it's important that if you're keeping secrets or you're keeping accusations to yourself, especially against a partner, you disclose that information. You want everybody to be on the same footing because in this case, a very serious accusation was made against me that I was cheating in the relationship when I didn't view it that way. And it could have been, you know, a difference of definition. It could have been just a difference of understanding, but had there been a conversation, then we would have come off a lot better. And, um, you know, another reason why you might need to disclose something is in certain cases, it's actually the law. Um, 
And this applies mostly to people that have communicable diseases, um, some sexually transmitted, you know, diseases, or, you know, even HIV. There are a lot of laws, especially in the United States, where if you are, if you test a positive for HIV, you do have to disclose it to, you know, sexual partners prior to sex if you are single, or you have to disclose it to your current partners if you have them. And it is actually the law that you disclose that before you have any further sexual contact. So it's important that you understand the laws of disclosure when it comes to certain aspects of your life. Because if you are HIV positive and you fail to disclose, and you know, you might be undetectable, your partner might be on prep, and there's there's, you know, such a negligent risk of there being transmission. You're you're you know, wearing condoms and everything, you know, it is a fraction of a fraction of a percent at this point. But even the fact that there is a fraction of a fraction of a percent doesn't mean that you are still not legally liable if you fail to disclose. So it is important that you understand the laws of disclosure within your personal local jurisdictions. Because the last thing you want to do is fail to disclose something and then one day wake up to a delightful little subpoena because you're being, you know, accused of, you know, breaking a law that you were unaware of. So in health-related matters, it is important that you understand what you have to disclose. It's, it's also important to understand, you know, disclosure to a workplace environment. If you have a disability... It's important to know what you have to and what you do not have to disclose. Let's say that you have a physical impairment. Maybe you have a, de a degenerative disorder, something like multiple sclerosis, perhaps. It's important that you know what you do and do not have to disclose to your workplace. Basically, you know, why should you disclose all of this information? Because ultimately, you want to make sure that you and the people in your life are on the best footing to move forward. It is impossible to make decisions for, for your life and the life that you share with other people. You can't make joint decisions if you withhold information. It can be incredibly vulnerable. You, you, can, you, you, you have to invite that vulnerability in, though. Especially if, you're, if you've made a mistake, if you've you know, screwed up. If it's something that you're incredibly sensitive about, these disclosures can be very difficult. And, you know, the feeling of being anxious is just going to be there, you know, trying to hide it from whomever. And then when it comes to the act of disclosing, that can be incredibly anxiety inducing as well. And again, you know, when we talk about disclosure, this, this, this goes for you know, anybody that you're trying to form any kind of a relationship with, whether it's a romantic, sexual, familial, maybe you're seeking therapy, you're, you're talking to a new therapist. It's important to make disclosures about your life, about things that you struggle with, because if they don't know these things, they can't help you. And it can feel awkward, but if you don't do it, then the therapy is kind of you know, useless. That's not to say like, you know, if you're going to 
yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll go back to HIV. If you're going to like a podiatrist because you sprained your ankle, like you don't necessarily need to be like, oh yeah, by the way, I have HIV. Like that's not, that's, you don't need to disclose that to everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing to keep in mind here though, uh, this is a situation that can come up in certain situations. And it's just worth noting is uh, there are certain things called mandatory reporting laws. So there's another form of disclosure that has to happen on the part of a provider. If you tell them certain things that suggest, uh, for example, child abuse or uh, underage uh, sexual contact with a minor or, you know, exploitation of, of, of youth or things of that nature. So uh, you want to make sure that if you're disclosing, you aren't inadvertently disclosing things that are going to incriminate anyone uh, if, you, if that's something that is concerning to you. So it's worth, it's worth noting that. So things that you disclose to those providers can, in fact, incriminate you if they are in certain categories. So keep that in mind from a self-incrimination point of view. I know some people who have age gap relationships where their relationships might be legal in some jurisdictions and not legal in other jurisdictions might run up against a situation where if they disclose to a therapist who's actually practicing in a different jurisdiction than where they live, they might actually, that might actually trigger a mandatory reporting law, even though that relationship is legal and consensual in the place where you actually live, because the therapist lives in a different place, they actually are applying a different set of legal criteria, and you can get yourself into a whole mess of just... Anyway, be thoughtful about things like that if you are in a very special scenario like an age gap relationship or something of that nature. But yeah. assuming you are normal in, in a normal situation, I won't say that that's normal, uh. but <laughs> assuming you are in a more usual, more, more typical situation, right. uh, disclosure shouldn't be, uh, should be something that would be favorable with a therapist because generally speaking, the things that you, this is something that I say all the time and kind of like my disclosure truism, like for the show, and I think we originally stole it from Franklin Vo, uh, and, uh, that's basically the, the thing that you're afraid to say is the thing that you need to say to partners and to others, right? Including people like therapists. The thing that you're afraid to tell your therapist about is probably the thing that's really troubling you and that's causing you a lot of you know, psychic stress. So keep in mind that if you are the type of person who has things to, that is, are kind of eating away at you, that are bugging you, that you're embarrassed about, that you're ashamed of, those are the things that you probably do want to tell your therapist about because then your therapist can help you process and deal with those things, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, the thing that you're afraid of saying is the thing that you need to say. Well, you want to make sure that you're finding the right time, the right place, and the right circumstance to say it. You know, just because you're afraid of saying something doesn't mean that you need to, you know, go to the top of the Empire State Building and unfurl a banner that says, you know... I cheated on you, Jan. Like, there, you, you don't need to disclose it to everybody. You don't want to walk down the street and shake hands and like, hi, nice to meet you. I, uh, I have severe crippling anxiety. You want to kind of find the right circumstance. You want to make sure that you're not being, I don't want to say overly disclosing, but maybe that's the right way to say it. Not everybody needs to know your life story. And that can actually come back to hurt you because, you know, the fact is, is that when people, when you disclose things to people that you're not under any kind of like confidentiality, let's say they're not a lawyer, they're not a therapist, they're not a doctor, anything of that nature, you know, there's, there's no legal 
limit to who they can say things to. Um, I'll give an example. It's I have a friend who has lupus, and he had to disclose this to um, his employer because every now and then he has to go in for tests. Sometimes he's too sick to come in. And so there had to be some accommodation made in order to ensure that he could, you know, do some remote work, which typically wasn't granted to people in his office. So he went to HR and he spoke about it with the HR representative and he uh, gave them a doctor's note that said, you know, um, so-and-so has a medical condition and needs the following accommodations. Now, under the law, that is all that he had to do. But then he was like, yes, I have lupus. Here's a note from the doctor. The issue is, is that there is no kind of legal liability against a HR person from discussing that with people in the office. You can ask that somebody keep it within strict confidence, but there's no kind of law, at least in his jurisdiction, that you know prohibited his HR person from talking to his manager and saying, hey, you know... He has lupus, so sometimes he's going to need to work from home. And then his manager discussed it with him in a team meeting in front of everybody. So everybody in his team knew that he had lupus. And while he wasn't ashamed about it, it was something that he didn't really want to discuss with everybody because it's his personal health. So you want to make sure that when you disclose things to people, you do it to people that you can trust, especially if it's something that you want to kind of keep, you know, out of public eye. A lot of past struggles that people have, you don't necessarily want everybody knowing because, especially if there are areas where you've screwed up, maybe in past relationships you've cheated, maybe in past relationships you've lied, you've stolen, could be maybe you have a criminal past that you've worked very hard to come past and, you know, to, to move forward from. You don't necessarily need everybody knowing that. So you want to make sure that you treat people who you disclose information to that are under no legal, you know, we'll, we'll say requirement to keep that information confidential. Anytime you make a disclosure, you have to understand that there is the possibility that that disclosure might become public knowledge. So that's kind of the ultimate kind of vulnerability. And it can be very difficult to stomach. Part of doing this podcast, when, when Vera and I, we were talking about starting it, was that we, we had to kind of come to terms with the facts that there are going to be times where we talk about mistakes that we've made and mistakes, you know, that, that are really kind of bad, you know, areas where we might have cheated or areas where we might have just made bad decisions. And, you know, there's... there. There's, there's no secret handshake that we have. There's no secret login that we have with people that listen to the show. And there's no agreement, no terms of service that the contents of this show are to be considered confidential. And you may not discuss them with anybody at any time whatsoever. Thank you very much. In fact, I think we have a share and share uh, like <laughs> license, right? Like we have right. to encourage people to, to reuse this content. <laughs> so, you know. So, I mean, you know, there, there's, there's the potential that I log into Twitter one day and I see a billion fucking mentions that uh, you won't believe about the one time that Metrico fucking got nudes from somebody and ruined a relationship because he was kind of cheating and and he didn't disclose it. So, I mean, there is that risk that happens. And so you have to understand that you have to have that, that acceptance of that level of vulnerability. 
it doesn't mean that you have to agree with it. You can certainly be mad as hell. You can certainly, you know, say, well, I didn't want this to be public knowledge and I would appreciate it if we didn't discuss it. You can certainly do that. It is your call. But when you disclose information, you have to understand that that doesn't constitute some like super secret legal privacy. You can't just sign somebody to a non-disclosure say, well, now that I have you under non-disclosure, now I'm going to disclose. It doesn't really work that way. So it's important to figure out where to disclose information. Um, that, that can be a big issue for people because, I mean, I live in New York. You don't have privacy anywhere. Like anything that my roommate does, I can hear. Any conversation that he has with his girlfriend, oh, it is it is almost as if he has a microphone in his room and the speaker is like right by my ear at all times. You hear people having arguments and discussions and uh, you cheated on me. I can't believe you did that. You hear all of these things. So finding the right place to disclose information can be a little bit difficult here, especially if you want to have like a serious private conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So what's important is you find the place that you're the most comfortable. For me, I do it at my home or, you know, if, if there's like a park where it's fairly quiet, I'll do it there and that's fine. You don't necessarily want to have specific disclosure disclosures in public places. If you're disclosing the you, the idea that you're really into cuckolding, maybe you don't do it at the Olive Garden. I understand the unlimited soup, salad, and breadsticks are tempting, but maybe you have that after the disclosure. Maybe you don't talk about your history with sexually transmitted diseases on the first date. Maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's that kind of a date where you're like, well, you know, this one time I had gonorrhea, and then you can laugh about it. You know, use your discretion on things like that. But generally speaking, disclosing too much to somebody that is brand new in your life can be overwhelming. If there's no kind of relationship or emotional tie or roots that have set in, they're just going to bail. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's no reason for them to stick around. If you're like, well, when I was, you know, 13, I had my first kiss and then um, I had sex and I lost my virginity. And then he's like posted pictures of me and like put them on the lot. Like, I mean, you don't want to disclose, you know, that you have abandonment and like trust issues right off the bat. You don't want to come to the first date with a Broadway musical special about the 13 men in your life that have fucked you over. Maybe you save that for the second second date, maybe the third. I don't know. I don't know when it's appropriate to bring up Broadway musicals when it comes to dating because Broadway is way too expensive for me in my dating life. But, you know, this is one thing that I do here. And uh, I, think, I think you and I have discussed this in the past, Vero. Um, there's this idea that people will have like these important disclosures in a public place. Like they'll go to a restaurant, they'll go, they'll go somewhere in public to kind of have a disclosure. Um, I see it a lot with like kids that are like, you know, I'm going to tell my parents I'm gay, but I'm going to tell them like when we're out to eat somewhere so they can't yell at me because they won't yell at me in public. So I know that we can kind of have the conversation. Uh, there's an episode of 30 rock where, one of the characters um, tells a woman that he's seeing that he is seeing a woman on the side and they do it 
at a wedding in a Catholic like church and she can't do anything because she's like crap. Like I can't yell at you and we're stuck in a service while this couple's getting married. Just remember that because you're in public doesn't mean that people are going to behave. If the real housewives of New Jersey are any indication a restaurant is not going to stop somebody from having a temper tantrum. My mother took me to a Walmart to dis- I was at a point where I kind of was rejecting the faith of my parents and they became aware of that fact. So she took me to a Walmart people, a Walmart to have this discussion. We were in the women's section. We were by the lingerie. She's like, so I understand that you're having problems with your faith and that. You uh, you don't believe in it as as much as we would like you to, and like she's like, I brought you to the, I brought you out here to have this conversation because I didn't want it to get heated, and I'm just looking around. I'm like, girl, we are in a Walmart. That woman there is not wearing shoes, and I don't think she's wearing pants. Like, I think she's just wearing a bra. I don't know. I can't. I'm not looking. If you think that this is the classy place to have this conversation, like who? I did not maybe handle myself the best in that circumstance, but at the same time, it was a Walmart, and I didn't see any problem with having an argument in a Walmart. You know, public... I mean, gotta be somewhere. Might as well. I mean... Free show, right? Yeah, I mean, she she wanted it, and I'm like, we're in the lingerie section, so I mean, I might as well talk about Jesus Christ here, because Lord knows nobody else is. Like there's some sil- at least the clothing is slightly sound dampening, right? Yeah. Well, it was just, it was very surreal to like be looking at bras while my mother is talking to me about Jesus Christ. I'm like Jesus would have nothing to do with this conversation here. I think I don't know, but like I'm I don't think that you're going to convert me while I'm looking at like a really silky onesie because I really want to touch it because it looks really interesting to touch. Can I touch it? Oh yeah, it's cold. So, I mean, you know, just because you're in public doesn't mean people are going to pay attention, doesn't mean people are going to care, doesn't mean people are going to behave, you know. So, don't count on Walmart being the buffer that you need to keep your parents from not yelling at you because you're gay or to keep your partner from not yelling at you because you're cheating on them. Like, it may not be the most graceful approach for them to yell at you. But chances are, if you've done something kind of heinous that you're afraid of because you know that they're going to yell at you, you should probably find a different venue to have that conversation. Don't take somebody to Chuck E. Cheese to tell them that you're breaking up with them. It's not a good feeling. Dave and Buster's, possible. But definitely <laughs> not Chuck and Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese, what Chuck and, don't, don't take them to Chuck and Cheese. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. not good. Well, I call it the cheese and Chuck. Like, you give them the cheese pizza and then you chuck them to the wayside. <laughs> you take them to the Chuck E. Cheese for the cheese and Chuck. Uh, yeah, I got to. That makes sense. Don't All do right. it. Don't do it. Don't, not recommended. Not, not Kali approved. <laughs> it doesn't get the Kali stamp of it. What does the Kali stamp of approval look like? It's an impalmateur. It's kind of it's based on the, the the papal seal of approval for 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 literature, but it's just a paw mark. So, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it reminds me almost of like the Wishbone book, you know, book series with like the paw. Pretty, pretty much that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, look for this paw print. It's a sign of excellence. <laughs> yes, the paw print of excellence. Oh God. 
Does that mean that all of your mates have it like imprinted on their like ass cheek? Actually, I like kind of going for right above the the uh, the hip bone because that's kind of where my, my paws naturally gravitate during certain activities. So oh. that works out. But. Certain activities, my aren't you being coy? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Wow. But yeah, you know, it's it's also I think important to keep in mind there's some situations for disclosure that can perhaps justify delaying disclosure sometimes we talk about how important it is to disclose early and disclose often especially with things that are very pressing or that are causing you intrusive thoughts or they're worrying you or causing you a lot of trepidation or fear or anxiety these are the things that you really do need to express to a partner or to whomever but there are certain situations where disclosure might not be the ideal and one of those is actually when you're already feeling very anxious or sick or not maybe worked up emotionally about another issue, or perhaps you're short-tempered because you had a rough day at work, that might not be the best time to get into emotionally involved conversation that's going to involve a lot of disclosure of sensitive information with a partner because you don't really have the emotional bandwidth available for that conversation at the time, and you're going to end up not really achieving the empathetic connection with the person you're disclosing to that you're actually going to want. It's going to be very difficult for them to listen to you empathetically when you're barely able to invest any energy into the disclosure that you're making to begin with. So you want to make sure that you're kind of at a fairly contented, n- neutral state, however close to that you can get before, you know, you get to the point of uh, blurring out information when you're not really prepared to deal with the consequences of that. So that's one thing. Another thing is, you know, it's important to keep in mind the purpose of the disclosure that you're making, right? And it's important to remember that the purpose is to benefit both you and the person you were speaking with in terms of making you both feel better at the end, right? Ideally, disclosure should make you both feel better. So to that end, you don't want to be providing traumatic disclosures at an inopportune time for the person that you are disclosing to, or you might actually end up victimizing them a second time, right? For example, if that person is heading into a major interview or a school examination, or a first date, or speaking at a public event, or doing something else that requires a lot of focus or attention, like writing a dissertation, uh, any of those types of activities, that might not be the time to provide a traumatic disclosure, right? At times of intense stress already, like let's say that a parent was just diagnosed with a major illness, or there was a death in the family, that's not the time to keep on further uh, bad news, right? So it's reasonable to delay disclosure if receiving it is going to be particularly traumatic for that person at the time you'd be disclosing it. But again, it's important that if you choose to, dis- to delay disclosure for a reason such as that, you're not delaying it indefinitely. You're delaying it until such a time as you're closer to a neutral state, right? You're closer to, e- to uh, equilibrium or the, the status quo. And you that that point will still be making the disclosure. But you don't want to be doing it when it's going to be re-victimizing the individual. And that's something that's important to keep in mind. Because again, a disclosure serves no purpose if it's actually just making things worse for the person that you are disclosing to, right? I mean, I remember when I was in college and I was going into, like, I, I was taking, uh, for my freshman year, we had to take a public speaking class. And I was going for the final speech that I had. And I received a text from my then boyfriend that was just, we need to talk. And I'm just like, oh, wonderful. Like, I'm about to go up and give a speech. And now I have this to think about. Fabulous. Um, 
maybe, you know, don't do that. It's kind of a dick move. Um, mind you, yes, he did break up with me. Uh, <laughs> so all of my fears were, were confirmed in that one brief moment. I'm just like, oh, well, it looks like I'm going to be single starting, you know, in an hour. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, make sure you're not causing additional stress because what ends up happening is you have like the added stress. And then especially like if they bomb it, like luckily I did really well on that. But had I not, I would have just, like, my anger would have been compounded, and it would have just been like, you fucking fuck. Like, not only did I fail the exam, but you broke up with me, and why did I fail it? Because I was worrying about this bullshit. So, fuck you, seriously, go fuck yourself. You don't, you don't want to do that, you know. Disclosure is important, but you want to make sure that you're choosing that time carefully. You don't want to, like... Like, they come home with a cancer diagnosis, and then you're like, oh yeah, and by the way, I'm fucking the milkman. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe you, 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 like, wait for things to stabilize, or you make sure that they're emotionally okay, they have a support network, then you're like, okay, so just to let you know, there's been this thing going on, but I'm willing to work with you to get through this. But you don't, you don't want to kind of pile bad on top of bad. Like, it doesn't work, and any kind of chance at, you know, stabilization of the relationship kind of becomes moot, because, you know, if there's no emotional bandwidth to handle their problem and your problem, chances are people are going to just default to handling their problem, and the best way to resolve your issue is to just remove you from their life. So... If you want your disclosure, especially if it is a very negative disclosure, to not be the end of the relationship, make sure that you're not indefinitely disclosing, but you're also choosing to disclose and finding the right time to disclose. And you'll know when that is. You'll you'll know when there's a good time to talk about things. It's just you have to identify it properly. You know, again, just make sure that you're not keeping bad on top of bad. Um, you know, one of the things that we do get asked, you know, in terms of like relationships, what, what, what information should you discuss, uh, disclose? And, you know, and that can be kind of a difficult topic because different people have different, you know, things going on in their life. And, you know, it depends also on the stage of the relationship, but generally, you know, a good checklist of things to, kind of keep in mind or, you know, STI, you know, exposure, if you are in an open or a poly relationship and one of, you know, their metamors, um, you know, comes down with something like gonorrhea and everybody's kind of having fluid bonded on protected sex, it's a good idea to disclose, hey, you know, one of my other partners has gonorrhea, um, we should all just go get tested. You know, things like infidelity, which we've spoken about already. Uh, which is also potentially tied in with the STI exposure issue as well, right? Because yeah. infidelity and STI exposure tend to go like bread and butter, right? They go together like boom, chaka, like Yeah, they, they are the, it is the grease of, of like disclosures. Like, <laughs> ching, 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 to ching, chip up, go get your dick tested. Wow! Yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's not a the STI exposure is often the reason that the infidelity needs to come to light, right? Right. The, yeah. Uh, oh, I sat on the toilet seat, honey, and I, I got these 
the, the strange ooze. <laughs> I, sat, I sat on the toilet. Somehow I got pink eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh. yeah. What were you doing in the toilet seat? <laughs> How strange. Well, it's not Rule what I was four, doing. I yeah. <laughs> it's not what I was doing. It was who. And I don't I'm know. On the toilet seat, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's actually the joke, right? It's the only way a toilet seat gives you gonorrhea is if you fuck someone in the bathroom. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know that's you know whatever it's a, it's an age old excuse. Yeah. Uh, but you know that, that again infidelity can also you know that might be one word for it if you're used to maybe a more closed relationship context. But if you're coming from the non monogamous perspective, the kind of ethical non monogamous perspective, you might call the same thing a sexual encounter with a non mate. It might not even be that it's an infidelity. It might be a perfectly allowable behavior. But the fact that it's an allowable behavior doesn't mean that you don't have to talk about it. And so this is often where polyamorous or open relationships get themselves into trouble is just because a behavior is theoretically permissible and within the context of the relationship terms that doesn't mean that you don't need to tell your partner it happened right so oftentimes people might this happens around kink play a lot where let's say someone does a kink that they are actually quite ashamed about and they're not i always tell people in that situation that if you're too ashamed to tell your partner about it and your relationship calls for disclosure then you should be too ashamed to do it as well because it's not fair to your partner to go ahead and do the thing and then, oh, suddenly you still can't tell them because you're too ashamed, right? That's not that's not the fair place to stop if you're going to chicken out and not be able to tell your partner, right? So keep those sorts of things in mind. Don't be, don't be Try not to be too selfish in that scenario. Try to keep to the terms that you agreed to or if you, you know, decide that those terms are too restrictive and you want to be able to do certain things without you know your mate's prying eyes, perhaps it's something you need to negotiate. And some people might be open to that, and some people, frankly, won't. I know, for one, I am pretty much a stickler. If someone's doing something sexually with my mate, I kind of need to know the details of that, or it makes me super uncomfortable. So I'm one of those people who I'm very permissive with what I will allow, but I do want to know exactly what's happening. I don't, I don't want there to be a lot of guessing work to, you know, what's happening with my partner's junk. So uh, right. that's something that I insist on. But some people are more lax in that respect. Some people can do a don't ask, don't tell. So, you know, depending on your comfort level and what your own personal values are, maybe you can renegotiate that. But it's not for your partner to skip the renegotiation and plow ahead with the doing and not the telling, right? I mean, you know, the adage of it's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission should never really apply in a relationship. That's not a very loving approach, right? It's really actually the worst kind of approach, you know? It's very sociopathic, actually. Yeah, yeah not good. <laughs> So, I mean, well, <laughs> well, some people apply that to, like, business sense and, you know, you know, it's better to ask for forgiveness for making a bad investment than ask for, Meh. no, don't fuck other people and ask for forgiveness. Don't break relationship terms and ask for forgiveness. Ask, uh, get, get that permission, have that discussion. Don't, because, I mean, again, it does go back to a little bit of the top of the show. You know, you don't want to be, you know kind of breaking relationship terms and going around and having sex anonymous sex perhaps with a lot of people people that your partner doesn't know i mean it does take away from their sexual agency so you want to make sure that everybody is on flat even footing because otherwise it, it kind of takes it goes back to the idea that sex is power and you're kind of taking away the power that your partner your husband your wife your mate whatever you so choose to call him or or them or whatever they might be to you, you're taking that power away from them. So you don't want to do that. 
always ask for permission. Have that discussion. And if you don't get what you need, then maybe the relationship just is not what you need at all. You know, be open to compromise, of course. But if there is something that you definitely need in a relationship and you disclose that and your partner isn't willing to meet that, integrity. Have have that integrity. Don't, don't do it just because she has a cute butt. Don't do it because he has a nice dick. Do it because the relationship betters you. So disclosure is important in that. And like, you know, some other things that are important to, to disclose if you're shifting in the monogamy or polyamory spectrum, you know, if, if, if you go into a relationship and it's polyamorous and you realize that you would much rather be monogamous with your primary partner, then that's something that you need to disclose and have a conversation about because maybe it's something that they can accommodate. Maybe it's something they're like, you know, I'm happy with either and I'm happy being with you. And if this is what makes you happy, well, we can definitely kind of taper off, you know, with the other partners. We can sort of, you know, let them know, hey, we're we're kind of going to start closing off the relationship. Um, definitely don't just break up with everybody. But, you know, come with an action plan where everybody is able to understand and be supportive. Again, you want that support. You don't want people to come off feeling like you're the bad person. Uh, the same is true when it comes to um, sexuality or gender identity. These are things that are incredibly sensitive. And it's important to disclose to your partner if there's, you know, if you are in a heterosexual relationship and you're beginning to kind of feel bisexual, you know, perhaps it's curiosity, perhaps it's urges, perhaps it's, you know, something that you've known for a long time. Maybe you're completely homosexual. Maybe you're just gay or lesbian. And it took a while for you to realize that that's an important disclosure. Maybe, you know, you've realized that, you know, your, your assigned sex at birth is not the gender that you choose to identify as, or you find yourself being maybe you're gray sexual or asexual, or maybe you're non-binary. Maybe, you know, there's, there's something going on. If you don't include your partner in this and you just kind of trudge along, you're like, well, I'm just going to be miserable and just bite the bullet because I've been in this relationship for so long and I don't want to again, upset the status quo then it's going to start sabotaging the relationship. Or if you choose to indulge in, let's say, your sexual curiosities outside of the context of the relationship, that's going to damage the relationship as well. And yes, you know, especially when it does come to areas like gender identity and transsexuality, there are going to be people that are like, I want nothing to do with this. And it sucks and it's unfortunate. And there are going to be bigoted people because let's face it, Bigots kind of surround us. The, the, these people that just want nothing to do with anything progressive. Yes, they are definitely a factor. But isn't it good? And I hate to kind of phrase it this way, but I feel in my life it would be better for me to be rid of people that are not, you know, progressive or understanding. Maybe, you know, they're like, I support you, you know, as you transition and gender, but, you know, I personally would much rather date somebody that identifies as male. And I feel like that's a fair thing. It's not saying that you're doing something bad. It's saying that with that disclosure, it means that the relationship terms for them, you know, they're not where they need to be. 
you know, the personal boundary issue. Right. Right. And it doesn't mean that they're like, well, fuck you. Like, good luck. Sayonara. You know, I've had several friends who, um, you know, I've known them, you know, as male identifying for the longest time. And then they're like, Hey, you know, by the way, could you refer to me as, you know, and they give me a female now and I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. No problem. That is not a problem at all. And, you know, it's just, it's just how it is, you know, people should be able to, you know, explore and identify and be at most comfort with themselves. And if there are people in my life who have problems with me being gay or whatever fun that I bring to the table, then I'd much rather not have them in my life at all. And so that kind of vulnerability is there where I could live in a place where nobody likes me because I suck dick, but that's just kind of what I accept with being gay. Luckily, we're not where we were when I was 15 and friendless, but... You know, there certainly are people who find themselves in that circumstance. So you shouldn't let that fear stop you from disclosing that information. Um, you know, in relationships, though, there are other areas that you sometimes have to disclose. Um, if you have a major change of income, let's say that you get a salary decrease or a major salary increase, or maybe you're living in two separate houses, you're just dating and you aren't cohabitating, and there's an issue where you can't make rent or your building is condemned. Maybe you have to move. These are things that you should probably disclose, not out of like, Hey, you know, shit's fucked, but out of like, Hey, this is something that I'm going through. So understand if my priorities are shifted for a little bit as I try to correct what's going on in my professional or, or housing, you know, life. This can also come up in situations where a relationship is becoming more serious and you're considering maybe having a shared household or blending your incomes or having a joint checking account. Uh, issues of bad credit or a lot of uh, bad debt or outstanding debt like uh, student loan debt, credit card debt, uh, you know, some kind of maybe child support payment you're making, anything of that nature, uh, that's something that you should probably be mentioning at some point in a tactful way and not just... You find out once you finally have the shared bank account, suddenly there's, you know, your wages are getting garnished yeah. or your credit has taken a 200-point drop, right? So that's you want to find that out the, 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 the early way, not the, the late way on that front. Uh, also, you know, let's say that you're maybe coming into a relationship with any of children from a previous relationship. That's another thing that you're going to have to bring up at some point because that's obviously going to impact your availability and how that relationship is going to develop. So that's something to, to describe. And then, you know, this is, you know, something that's a bit harder to talk about, but it's still relevant from the, just in terms of being compassionate towards the person you're spending time with. If you're suffering from a terminal illness and you know that you have very sh short time to live, or if you know that you have short, you know, plans to leave the area where you are in the near future, let's say that you are only doing an internship for the summer, or you're finishing up your last year of college and you know you're going to be leaving the state, or you're going to be doing a study abroad program for two years, and this is your last two months in you know, Seattle or whatever it might be. Those are things to tell someone, because if they are looking for a long-term partner, they might not actually choose to proceed with a short-term relationship, even if that's what you want from that person. They have the right to not want a short-term relationship that is doomed to be short-term if what they are seeking is a long-term relationship. So you owe it to your 
partner or whoever it is you're with then to tell them that you have plans to leave the area or uh, unfortunately that you have uh, plans you didn't really sign up for to leave the uh, mortal coil <laughs> if you are unfortunately terminally ill. Um, I mean, when, when I had cancer, it's, I had to kind of tell people that because like, even though the prognosis was good, there was still a risk and, you know, you don't want to kind of just disappear one day and people wonder what happened and, Oh, Hey, like you're in hospice. Like it could be on some levels embarrassing. And like, for me, it was kind of humiliating because I had to kind of invite people in as like, I was like really struggling to survive through chemotherapy. Like things were not great for me for a long time while I was going through that. But I mean, had I not disclosed that, then people would have just been like, what the fuck is going on? Like uh, there was one person that was kind of like an orbit of my friend group, I would say. And he thought that I was doing drugs like he's like you're you've lost a lot of weight your hair is falling out and he's like are you on meth like do you need help and i'm like no 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 it's chemo everything's okay like like he could see like in my arms where um i had like um essentially track marks from dialysis and i'm like no it's fine i'm dying like not for meth though um but yeah, definitely with like, if you plan to leave the area, I mean, I hate to keep going back to Greece, but God damn it, I am, you know, summer loving is, is a blast, but if your Sandy is looking for something a little bit more long-term, y- you shouldn't just kind of like lead her on, you know, make sure that you set the expectations. And, and that's something that we, we talk about. If the expectation for the relationship is, hey, I'm here for a summer and then I go back to, you know, where I live. This is just a summer vacation for me. If you set that expectation and everybody's on board, then, hey, there are going to be no, no hurt feelings. And maybe something blossoms out of that and you realize, no, I really like your company and I really want to be with you for a longer time. You won't know that if you don't set that expectation ahead of time because there are going to be a lot of hurt feelings once that relationship suddenly ends. Like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm leaving tomorrow, so uh, thanks for all the fish. Like, bye. You know, you don't want to be that person. Um, you know, and also, Ideally not. Yeah, and also, like, if you get into a relationship, like, and this is something where the dating scene can be a little bit kind of complicated. You know, if you have other people that you're seeing, maybe nothing's really serious yet. You might want to disclose that. Or if you are serious with somebody, let's say that you're starting to date somebody and you're polyamorous, you should probably let them know, hey, just so you know, I'm poly. So if we get in a relationship, it would be, you know, a poly style relationship. There's an episode. Well, I think it was the movie The Beast with a million backs from Futurama where Fry, one of the main characters, gets married and finds out and moves in with a girl only to find out that she has like four other partners. And I mean, part of the comedy is about him suffering from jealousy and trying to learn how to accommodate her. But really, you know, that's not too far-fetched of a thing. There are definitely people who get into relationships only to discover, oh, hey, by the way, the person you're dating is in an open relationship or has a husband or is in some way already romantically tied to another person. So it's important to make those disclosures in order to promote open, honest, and ethical relationships. 
Because if a person feels skeeved out, then that's going to be their impression of polyamory or open relationships, and they're going to immediately assume bad faith in everybody that's polyamorous. Now, there is some debate about when exactly it's necessary to do this type of disclosure, and I think it's worth touching on that for a bit, especially within the context of situations like maybe a ranging hookup on Grindr or something like that, where maybe the expectation is that no one is necessarily available for a long-term relationship when you're going into that scenario. So in that situation, you might not necessarily have to go into all the ins and outs of your relationship terms, so long as what you're doing actually is permissible according to those terms, right? But if you then want to develop a relationship with that person where you're hooking up with them more than once, you're going to continue to see them, where in the absence of communication, they might assume that you were monogamous with them, that's where that communication becomes important, right? Is whenever you think there might be a monogamous assumption being made, that's when you need to make sure you're making that communication of, oh, by the way, I have these other partners, right? Right. I mean, you know, there is definitely a, a difference between a one night stand and, hey, you know, let's, let's have repeated encounters. Let's, you know, go out to dinner and let's, you know, pursue something. For me, you know, the disclosure that, that I said, and mind you, I am monogamous, but like back when I was practicing, polyamory, the disclosure that I would set was, hey, I'm, you know, in an open polyamorous relationship and I have a primary partner, but, you know, I really like you and I would like to maybe go on a date with you, see what happens if you're comfortable with it. That way, the expectations are set. And, you know, if they say, you know, I'm really looking for something that's closed and monogamous, then it's like, cool, no hurt feelings. You know, all the cards are on the table. They said, no, cool. Well, hey, you know, that, you know, kind of sucks for me, but, you know, I can certainly understand where you're coming from. You know, it, it's important to determine what your personal layers of integrity are, but just understand you don't want to kind of trick somebody into a relationship with you and also your other partners when they are unaware of your partner's existence. You don't want to make somebody an unwitting metamor. And, you know, how do you disclose all of this, though? This is a lot of stuff. Like, there are a lot of things that you might have to disclose. How do you go about doing it, though? You know, keep it simple, stupid. That That's really what I tell people. And I'm not calling you stupid. That's just the, the, the acronym, KISS. Um, you want to keep it simple. Keep it direct. You know, you don't want to embellish too much. You don't want to kind of be me and go into story mode and, you know, the year 1989, the setting, Daytona Beach, Florida. You don't you don't need to make a Broadway production out of it. You just kind of need to say, hey, you know, just so you know, at some points in my life, these things have happened. And, you know, or, hey, just so you know, when I was younger, I made a lot of really stupid decisions and I currently have, you know, bad credit. I'm working on improving it. But if we get serious and we start tying our finances together, this might be a problem for us if we want to rent an apartment or, you know, this is something that we're going to have to work on. It's important to make these kinds of disclosures and to make them simple and direct, because the more that you add on to it, the more confusion that there can be. And you don't want to f seem like you're burying the lead. You're not burying the bad under a narrative of like excitement and wonder and all of that. You don't need to give a lot of reasons behind why certain things are the way that they are. Maybe you just have kind of a bad low-paying job right now like that's fine these things happen 
you know, you got fired and you're working on a job that just pays the bills. You don't have to say like, you know, well, I'm working here because the job economy is bad and my industry is failing. You don't have to go into that. You just have to say, well, I'm currently working at McDonald's while I try to find other employment. That's fine. Keep it simple. Keep it direct. If there are other questions, let them address it. Let the let your partner come to you with the questions. You know, don't be afraid of questions, but just keep the initial disclosure simple and direct. And just understand that everybody is going to have that initial knee-jerk reaction. Some of them will be positive. Some of them will definitely be negative, especially if it's a serious disclosure. If you're disclosing an infidelity, if you're disclosing, you know, uh, another partner, if if you're polyamorous and they were unaware. The thing is, is that you need to give them time to process that information. And this is especially true if it is like a health-based disclosure. If you're, if you've discovered that you've contracted a sexually transmitted infection, you need to give them time to process, you know, impressions and reactions definitely can change beyond the initial knee-jerk reaction. But never be pushy for people to change their mind. Um, you know, I know people when they come out to their family, um, they give them one year. They say, okay, you know that I am gay. You have one year to wrap your head around that, to wrap, to wrap your mind around it. You can say whatever you want to say in this year, and we can have these discussions. But after one year, if you're not fully on board, then the ship is leaving without you. And that's a fair thing to say, and that's a fair kind of position to hold. You need to give people time to change, to adapt, to understand. But if you expect for somebody to like immediately just come around and say, oh yeah, no, that's fine, that's cool, especially if it's a serious, severe kind of disclosure that changes, you know, perhaps the way that they view you as an individual, then you need to give them time to process. But you also just have to maintain your own personal integrity and ensure that if this is something that they can't adapt to, you're okay with moving on without them. And also, and this is just, you know, something that we talk about so much on this show, but it, it bears repeating. Use nonviolent communication. If you made a mistake, Admit that you made a mistake. Don't don't try to qualify the mistake. Don't try to say, well, because of this and because of that, because of this and because of that. If you if you fucked up, admit that you fucked up. Don't blame. Yeah, it requires vulnerability and admitting fault, right? Yeah. You don't want to be blaming the other person for your wrongful actions. You want to be taking responsibility for what happened to the extent that you were responsible. You don't want to take responsibility for things that were not actually at your, you know, something you can be blamed for, but you do want to take responsibility for anything that you legitimately did that you feel was incorrect. Uh, and it's important when you're being vulnerable to use I statements to say, you know, I did this, I felt this way and I did this thing and it was the wrong decision and I feel bad and I know that it hurt you or, or whatever it might be. And that can then be a platform to launching from the disclosure into an apology, right? And the, an apology that actually is going to be meaningful to the person because you're expressing an understanding of the fact that you did something that was harmful to them and that you are contrite and sorry that you did that, right? So that's a really good way to go about launching a disclosure into becoming a good apology. And we have a whole other series of podcasts devoted to apologizing and resolving conflict in that way. So you might want to go check out past episodes 
if that is your situation. 100% there. So, I mean, disclosure, it can be incredibly just, it's kind of a daunting sort of task. You know, when you think about disclosing information to people, you know, there's, there's a lot of trepidation. You know, people don't like feeling this vulnerable, especially when it comes to serious or really core issues in their life. But at the end of the day, you have to be willing to disclose this information. If you withhold information from a partner, from loved ones in your life, they can't be there to support you when you need them. And if you expect for them to kind of come on board, you know, the instant that you disclose something to them, especially if you need them at that moment the most, chances are they're not going to be able to be there because they're still kind of wrapping their head around it. If you are having issues with a boyfriend and you need support maybe from your parents, let's say you're breaking up and your housing situation is changing and you need to stay with your folks while you find a new place, if they don't know that you're gay, it's going to be very difficult for them to kind of understand why you're moving back in. You have to construct a new web of lies and... Eventually, that just all comes tumbling down. Withholding information, failing to disclose, it just has such a negative impact on on everybody involved. Uh, you, in terms of your mental health, you're feeling anxious all the time. Your inability to really kind of come and trust your partner. It can have issues with, you know, your partner themselves. Maybe it's a, it could be detriment to their health. Maybe you're having an, you're cheating and exposing them to unwanted or unknown STI risks. Disclosure is critical for healthy relationships. It is critical for relationships to succeed. It's uncomfortable and it's not always this positive. Everybody comes out feeling great. And wow, isn't it awesome that we understand each other better now? Relationships sometimes need repair, and every relationship at some point will need repair. The only way that you can really kind of get the relationship back to where it needs to be is through disclosing information to your partners. The same is true if your partner comes to you to disclose certain things. You have to be able to kind of understand and listen and wrap your head around it. And yes, you're going to have a knee-jerk reaction. And no, it may not be your proudest moment in life. You might say things that you regret and have to apologize for later. You might get angry. You might raise your voice. You might, you might just completely reject the idea temporarily. But it's important that you listen. It's important that you are present for that conversation. It's important that for disclosure, both you and your partner feel comfortable in being able to have these kinds of conversations. Society and culture, pop media, pop culture especially, kind of plays off of the idea that in a sitcom there's going to be a problem, their hijinks will ensue because nobody discloses the problem, and then at the end everything is wrapped up and fine and oh, it's okay honey, I love you. That's not how real life works. Real life, real relationships can get messy. They can be uncomfortable. 
you can feel incredibly angry towards the person that you love. Disclosure should build empathy. They should, you know, allow for you to be there for your partner. And they should allow for your partner to be there for you. And yes, some disclosures might violate personal integrity and it might end the relationship. And that happens. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to know when and how to disclose information. Because it's better, in my opinion, to be overly disclosive of information. Especially if you're unsure, if you're treading on new, unknown waters. It's uncharted territory in a relationship. Than it is for you to just blaze ahead and hope that your partner will forgive you if you make a mistake. We, we spoke about at the top of the show last week about how, you know, sexual stimuli can kind of help you in disclosure and how disclosure builds that empathy and how disclosure can build a relationship. And this is really just a massive follow-up to that because people are afraid of disclosing information. People are terrified of disclosures because it has a negative stigma around it. When somebody discloses something, it's, you know, I have a secret that I've been hiding for a long time and it's really negative and I hope you don't hate me for it, but it's this. And that's how it's portrayed in in pop culture. And it doesn't have to be that at all. It doesn't have to be something that you have to be afraid of, of being forever unloved. It's something that you should, you know, feel like your partner is going to understand and will work with you if it's a mistake that you made to make sure that you don't make the mistake again. If it's, you know, you're struggling financially, maybe they can help support you. If you have good credit, bad credit, they may not care. But you won't know until you disclose it. So just kind of take all of this to heart because a lot of relationships that I see fail They fail because of a lack of disclosure. They fail because there's a communication issue. And a communication issue is kind of the nice way of saying that there is a lack of disclosure. Don't sabotage your relationship. If you make a mistake, you got to own up to it. If you fuck up, you got to own up to it. If there's something you're interested in, kink, fetish, whatever it might be, just admit it. Just, Just disclose it. Just say, hey, you know, it'd be really fun if we try this. And it might work out. It might not work out. You might realize you don't like it, but you won't know until you disclose it. So just be open-minded to being open and honest and cultivate a relationship that allows for that level of openness and honesty. And if you don't think that you're at a position in your relationship to be able to honestly and completely disclose information to your partner, then you need to examine why you feel that way. And there might be other areas that you need to correct, but that's just the way that it goes. So I think we're going to leave it there for this week. Um, thank you for joining us on on the disclosure topic. We do have a question um, from a uh, an individual who wrote us by email, and um, their subject line was, my partner wants an open relationship, but I want a polyamorous relationship. What do I do? And they say, I'm a 19-year-old man, and I'm dating my partner who is 23 years old and is also male. 
We've been together for a year and a half, and I'm contacting in regards to how and if I should propose opening up a bit. Um, the story opens, the story kind of begins last November when we went to, um, visit somebody out of state, um, somebody we've been talking to for a few months beforehand. Um, he was our pup and it was good at first. Uh, we had laid out some rules beforehand and all made sure we wanted to go through with it. Sadly, there was a misunderstanding, which we all talked about afterwards. Um, one thing that is worth noting is that the pup was clearly more attached to me, um, in terms of physical, affection, you know, snuggling, kissing, and sex. Uh, once my partner and I got back, we were ta- we started talking about the weekend. Over the course of a couple of weeks, he said that he was jealous and kind of uncomfortable and didn't want to do it again. So I told our pup. Um, every new piece of information that my partner discussed with me, I relayed to our, our pup. Um, so when it came down to my partner wanting to drop the threesome, the pup said he was fine with it and understood but he started being very passive towards us. Another couple of weeks, my partner stopped talking to him altogether. Fast forward to recently, and my partner and I started talking about potentially opening up to a friends with benefits sort of arrangement. But some rules um, are include no one-on-one time, no texting unless it's a group text, etc. And that makes me feel bad, and I don't really want to be that restricted. I could care less about sex, I just want cuddles and kisses and another person to love. I would love to be in a poly triad, but I feel guilty about bringing it up and fear he thinks that I don't love him. So if I were to bring it up or even come up with any ground rules, what would you guys suggest? Um, I appreciate any feedback and look forward to hearing back from you. So, I mean, you know, we kind of just spent an entire show talking about this, right, Vero? Yeah, we did. I mean, this is an issue of disclosure. That's why I hope that addressing this question on the show would, would make sense. But... This really comes down to an issue of you and your partner might actually need and want different relationships. And if you're afraid of confronting that, uh, because maybe you're afraid of the relationship ending, you may still have to cope with that eventuality if, in fact, you guys aren't compatible. It might be the case that what your partner desires and needs is an open relationship, and what you desire and need is a polyamorous relationship. And those two things are not the same thing. Uh, One thing that might be a bit of a compromise that you might want to talk about with your partner is the idea of a polyamorous relationship, which is something we talk about way, way back on our Relationship Structures show as kind of a way to describe a relationship that is officially only an open relationship, but where one or both partners are actually allowed to kind of on the sly form deeper emotional bonds to some of the people that they are sexually involved with. And this might be more appealing to your partner if the reason that they value the relationship only being an open relationship is because they want the societal recognition for being a primary relationship without there being other contenders. And so maybe that's what the issue is for the partner and not so much the fact that you're having emotional intimacy. If the hang-up that they're having is, in fact, the emotional intimacy, then you are in a situation where you might actually not be compatible with each other, where if you require emotional intimacy with more than one person and on top of sexual intimacy, and what they require is sexual intimacy with more than one person, but emotional intimacy with only one sexual partner, then in that case, that's this incompatibility issue. So I would argue that you do need to have a talk with your partner, lay a bunch of different options out on the table, including, you know, breaking up and, you know, just game everything out. Don't be afraid to put everything on the table. Breaking up is one valid option, you know, don't be afraid of that. The status quo probably is not an option because it's not making you or your partner very happy necessarily. 
Uh, you can talk about polyamorous. You can talk about going to full polyamory. You can talk about maybe doing some kind of trial period or, you know, lots of other things that you might be able to do where you institute some check-in processes or ways to kind of dip your toes in the water of, of making the relationship more of what you're looking for, but in a way that makes your partner feel like their needs and wants are being respected and that they're being allowed to explore at their own pace. So I think you definitely have room to make this relationship work potentially, but it is going to require some communication because right now your fear of upsetting your partner is preventing you from really having a fulfilling relationship because you're not communicating very well. I mean, I agree with all of that. It's, you know, I, I would say that, you know, and everything that breaking up should just be a, you know, that's kind of the last option that you should try, but you should have this this conversation with with your current partner. Again, it sounds like you two are looking for for different things in your in your open relationship explorations, and maybe that is just an overall incompatibility, and that sucks. It's unfortunate, but you know when it comes to talking about, well, I'm afraid that he might think that I don't love him enough or i'm afraid that you know he feels like he might be inadequate well you know generally speaking i find that not to be the case when it comes to having discussions like this it doesn't come down to a what am i not good enough for you i mean if that were to be a suspect a suspectable sort of scenario then the relationship would be entirely closed off uh, the fact is is that both of you are pursuing some level of you know sexual openness so the the gauntlet is already kind of thrown that both of you love each other very much but you want to involve other people in your love um in this case it's more of a physical love for him and it's more of an emotional love for for your partner so i would say you know discuss the different relationship options on the table maybe you know he's fine with it being kind of like a Delio, where you have your other, you know, where he's okay with being a metamor that doesn't take other partners. You never know. It's, it's, you just have to have a difficult conversation and it can be kind of stressful, but I mean, it's better to kind of put all the cards on the table so both of you can figure it out. Right now, you know, all of that stress is on you. It's, it's, you know, just like in sex, it's always good to kind of share the load. So, you know, feel free to, to, you know, talk to your partner about this. Um, you know, it's, you know, you've been together for a year and a half and it can feel like, you know, you're afraid about losing that year and a half. And I can certainly understand that because, you know, especially for somebody, you know, in their teens, that year and a half can be, you know, slightly daunting because that's a long time in terms of, you know, your life, but in cases like this, it's better to kind of figure out what you want and figure out what your partner wants. And if they're incompatible, it's good to just move on and be friends and find somebody that is compatible for you. So just be open-minded in that conversation, but definitely kind of lay everything that you want and need on the table and listen to what your partner wants and needs and together make the best decision. And you know, I would recommend you listen to our relationship styles episode, our one of our, I believe, our first episode, if you go all the way back, 
if you if you want to kind of you know bring different relationship options and definitions to the table that you might be uncertain of. So just be open to disclosing. Really, I think that's that's you know really all all that I would have to say because this is just a conversation that you and your partner have to have. So um, good luck. Um, you know, hopefully everything goes fine. It's I find that conversations like that they tend to be gamed out far worse than they actually will be. And, you know, I'm sure that even if, you know, you end up not continuing in that in your current relationship, that you, you know, you'll find somebody who is compatible to what your wants and needs are. So just be open to the conversation. Um, we're going to go ahead and end the show there. Um, so thank you for your question. And if anybody has any questions, feedback, comments, complaints, whatever, if you want to open up a dialogue about the top of the show, please feel free. Um, visit our contact page at feralattraction.com. We have uh, many ways to get into touch with us anonymously. You can message us on Twitter. You can join our Telegram group and roast us alive there. We're open to any way that you want to get into touch with us. Um, if you do send a question, though, please do note that... Um, we do kind of have a backlog, and so it may not be an immediate turnaround that we get to it either in the advice column or on the show, but we do read through everything and we try to put it, you know, try to get to everything as quickly as possible. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about something fun. We're going to talk about oral sex. Yeah, it happens to be episode 69 of the <laughs> podcast, and so I thought no better way to celebrate episode 69 than to do an oral sex feature. So... We'll talk about, we'll use our silver tongues to talk about ways you can use your silver tongue in the bedroom. It's going to be, so. you know, a nice lighthearted episode because, you know, there are a lot of, we'll say, misconceptions about oral sex, both when it comes to men and women. So we're going to have fun being cunning linguists. Fortunately, I'm bisexual enough to have experience with both. So it'll be a fun episode. Don't worry. Just do the alphabet. <laughs> if you, um, happen to be at furthermore this weekend good news i'll be there too um to all of our patrons that are there and have the delightful patreon tier of you know telling me that i get the privilege of hanging out with them let me know now um, i'm making plans and setting my schedule but certainly if you are there and you want to hang out even if you're not a patron but um you know enjoy our show you know just feel free to hit me up i'm on twitter i'm on telegram you know I would love to hang out with people. I'll probably, you know, want to be like, hey, I'm tired and gay, but like we can definitely hang out. But will there be food or coffee involved? Um, so just expect that. If you see me running somewhere, chances are I'm going to my panel, which is at 10 p.m. on Saturday night. I will be doing the open and non-monogamous furry relationships 101 panel. And that will be in, I believe that is Monticello, which is panel three. So you can go to the furthermore schedule. You can see it there. I'll be there. Vero, unfortunately, will not be there. No, we'll be doing Ferlandia instead, which is coming up shortly as well. So we'll be doing the West Coast station uh, at Ferlandia. And that'll be, I think, that's like the last weekend of May, I think? I like May 28th? Was. Yeah. So look for that then. Yeah. So we'll have more information on that when it happens. Um, speaking of our Patreon. Uh, we do have a Patreon, and if you would like to become a patron of ours, that is greatly appreciated. Um, 
you know, financial contributions do help us go to conventions, help us upgrade the podcast infrastructure, help us get research materials. You know, it, it helps us in a lot of ways. And even if you can't become a patron of ours, uh, just by subscribing to us and giving us ratings and reviews on iTunes and Google Play and sharing our content on Twitter and Facebook really are beneficial for us. But one of our Patreon tiers does give shout outs at the end of every episode. And uh, Snares is one such patron. Uh, he has his own Patreon for Meteor Showers, which is a crowd-funded comic about beefy, beefy Barra daddies. And he also does uh, commissions, and you can look up his commission information on his Fur Affinity, which is furaffinity.net. Uh, look up his username, which is furious, like the emotional outrage. Zarpolis is an author who recently published a short novel with Thurston Hall Press titled The Pride of Parahumans, and you can check that out on Amazon. It's about sci-fi, high-tech, it's about space and furries and anthropomorphic, you know, sort of fun things. If you like things like StarCraft, you might enjoy it, so feel free to check it out and check out his Patreon as well. Or if you're looking for a new friend on Twitter, Myron the Fluffy, that's their handle name, at Myron the Fluffy, is there for you. There for pictures and daily red panda dog ramblings and whatever you might find to your heart's content. We're going to leave it there for this week. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for tuning in again next week. It's episode 69 and we're talking about oral sex until then. I'm Metrico. I'm Vera, the science collie. Be well.